Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. You're ready for a comeback. And with Purdue Global, you can do more than take classes. You can take charge of your story, of your career, of your life. Earn a degree you can be proud of and get an education employers respect. It's time, your time, not just to go back to school, but to come back and move forward with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback at purdueglobal.edu. On the Bechdel cast, the questions asked if movies have women in them. Are all their discussions just boyfriends and husbands, or do they have individualism? The patriarchy's effing vast. Start changing it with the Bechdel cast. Hola, Jamie. Voy a hablar en español. In Spanglish. What? Oh, no. <laughs> Sorry, I'm playing the part. I'm playing the part of Adam Sandler. Oh, okay. Taylor. Uh huh. Okay. Necesito decirte que esta película es la peor película que he visto en mi vida. Sorry, what did... What? <laughs> this movie is the worst movie I've seen in my life. Wow. Coming in hot. Well, I'm Adam Sandler and you're a hypocrite. You're the worst movie ever, even though that makes no sense. Yeah, yeah, I said it. Look at my hair. It looks I've never seen Adam Sandler's hair looking so bad. Oh, well, that didn't pass the Bechtel test at all. I think if we're dumping on Adam Sandler, that actually does pass the Bechtel test. His hair like yeah, this was what a what a welcome to the Bechtel cast. Um, Caitlin, you were you how long have you been uh, learning Spanish now? Nearly two years, although I also studied it in high school and college, but I forgot everything I learned back then and now I've been relearning it. Been starting fresh. Yeah. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Shouts out to Duolingo. And shout out to my Spanish tutors, Adriana and Mercedes. They're the best. Yeah. Anyway. Well, that's uh, that, that was Caitlin Durante, you heard. <laughs> and, and let's try, let's try this way. <laughs> well, and, and, and that was Jamie Loftus. Yeah. Uh, and this is our show uh, where we take your favorite movies and take another look at it through an intersectional feminist lens and make fun of it or not Mm -hmm. using the Bechdel test, which is what, 
Caitlin. Well, it is a media metric uh-huh. created by queer cartoonist Alison Bechtel, sometimes called the Bechtel-Wallace test. Mm-hmm. There are many versions of the test. The one that we use these days requires that two people of a marginalized gender have names. They must speak to each other in any language. <laughs> and that conversation has Thank to be... Thank you for that clarification. Of course. <laughs> it doesn't yeah. just have to be English. Wow. It can be Spanglish. Wow. And that conversation has to be about something other than un hombre. <laughs> A man. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yes, so we use that as a jumping off point to initiate a larger conversation. And... Uh, with us to join in in that conversation is a returning guest. Yeah. She's a writer, poet, host of the podcast Say More. Her new book, Dreaming of You, just came out at the end of October. And you remember her from our episode on 13 Going on 30. It's Melissa Lozada Oliva. Hi. Hello. Thanks for having me Welcome back. Welcome back. I shouldn't have had a sip of water while you guys were talking. I almost like electrocuted myself with a spit take. <laughs> Am I recording? Wow. <laughs> that was my God. Um, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I am so thrilled that you brought us this movie. Well, first, before we get started, please tell our listeners a little bit about your book, because I just want to make sure we're talking about it at the beginning yeah. and the end. everyone's got to order this damn book. Yeah, my book is um, uh, it's a novel in verse, I guess. Um, that's how it's being marketed. I think it's a rock. I think it's a rock opera. Um, and it's about, uh, it's poems. It's a story of a young poet whose name is also Melissa, um, who brings Tahana pop star Selena back to life through a seance and the disastrous consequences that follow. Amazing. And it's about like loneliness and obsession and celebrity and, and death death and the occult maybe and wi-fi yeah (laughs) it's so good love it yeah everyone get into it if you don't already have a copy because it's amazing hell yeah thanks (laughs) and in terms of spanglish uh why did you choose this movie to discuss and uh, what is your connection to it that sounded very accusatory yeah uh, excuse me, could you fucking explain yourself? Por qué? <laughs> <laughs> like, what, what is your connection to history with this movie? It's almost, yeah, it came out in 2004. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have a very, I this movie is so weird. I'm still, like, very sentimental about it. I saw it um, on Christmas Day with my family because Latinos, we celebrate it on Christmas Eve, Christmas, but we all like went together as a family and it was like right before my parents got divorced. And like all of my, like my grandmother was there and my mom and my sister and my whole family was like crying because my mom was like, this is the story of my life. (laughs) Um, And it was very like, oh, like my sister would like translate for my mom. My mom never had like a weird affair with Adam Sandler, but... um, (laughs) And then I, I think, yeah. <laughs> and then I, I like reexamined it in college and saw, you know, all of the weirdness about it. And I have this like fascination with Christina, who's like 
main character and mm-hmm. how I don't know this I'm like really interested in this idea of the like young Latin child being like a genius and like the Latin young Latin child to Hamilton pipeline <laughs> um <laughs> of uh, <laughs> like yeah so anyway I love this movie so <laughs> but it's also <laughs> anyway we'll, we'll talk about it yeah. <laughs> uh, Jamie what's your relationship with it I also really like this movie. Uh, I <laughs> saw it when it came out. Yeah, because I was like 12 when this movie came out. I don't know. But I remember seeing it in theaters with my mom. I feel like it was marketed as kind of like a mother-daughter movie. And so we went. Yeah. And I really liked it. I also was like not allowed to watch Adam Sandler movies. So I was like, wow, Adam Sandler is so boring. What is everyone like so upset about <laughs> based on this movie? But then this movie was also on TNT all the time. So I'd watch it whenever it was on. It was. Yeah. And I really, um, it's interesting. I haven't watched this movie in at least five years. It's definitely longer than I remembered. Two hours. Oh my gosh. Two hours and 11 minutes. Yeah. And I also wasn't I didn't remember that it was a James Brooks movie, which is like so bizarre on so many levels that we'll, well, I mean, we'll talk about it, but yeah, this is the first time I'd watched it since I like had a better understanding of like who James Brooks was other than a name at the beginning of the Simpsons. Mm -hmm. So I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah. I still like this movie still hit for me a lot. (laughs) (laughs) I was watching it like there's, there's, there's shit. There's plenty of shit, but there were still moments where I was like, Oh, a really beautiful scene yeah it's there's a lot of poetry in it (laughs) there is yeah oh it's nice also i adam sandler's hair is so distracting in this movie really it's a is it a wig like is it a wig like i don't i feel like i've never seen his hair that like thick it felt like a wig yeah maybe he just has a buzz usually it's not as though they were like lacking for a budget. It's like there was a hair and makeup budget. The budget for this movie was eighty million dollars. Whoa! Wow. And Why? was also a box office flop because it only yeah. grossed like fifty five million or something. But which is like so silly because that's fifty five million is I I think kind, like pretty respectable for a rom com. This movie just shouldn't have cost eighty million dollars. It was like it? there was like three locations. <laughs> Right, I, right. <laughs> uh, the, the, is that just like the cost of Adam Sandler? Yeah, Adam Sandler is probably like seventy million. <laughs> and like, no offense to Adam Sandler, but that could have been so many white guys. Like that could yeah. have been any other guy. He was really badly miscast in that yeah. role. <laughs> yeah, this is by far the most random Adam Sandler movie, <laughs> and it is like an Adam Sandler movie. He's like on the front of the yeah. <laughs> He's like on the poster, which is like, in, the, in the forefront. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like distracting that he's in it at times because it's like the I don't know. Like I thought it was interesting that like a man doesn't I don't think speak for the first like 15 minutes of this movie. Like it's yeah. all Christina and Flor or it's like Deborah, Debraing out to her daughter and like it's all women talking. And then all of a sudden it's like and here's Adam Sandler. <laughs> And you're just like, uh, I, do we need it? I don't know. Uh, Caitlin, what's your history with this movie? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, uh, I had not seen this movie before, so I had no emotional attachment to it. I was going in very fresh. And I am so sorry, but I hated it <laughs> so hate it? much. I hate it. I think it's 
very bad. I have reasons. Here they are. Yeah, yeah. The storytelling is choppy yeah <laughs> every scene is overwritten so 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 overwritten the editing That's and the pacing true. is very weird the tone is very weird and inconsistent the tone is confusing tone i felt like weird. the Hans zimmer music was trying to like do some heavy lifting and like making it clearer how you were supposed to feel sometimes but yeah right it's it, a college essay <laughs> it's a weird it's a like random essay. voice of the framing devices is, is strange i have never felt less compelled or convinced by a romance between two people on screen uh, yeah there are different conflicts that are like set up and then just like dropped like loose threads that get even looser and looser as the movie goes and then all the reasons that we'll talk about in the context of like our podcast that I think are weird missteps (laughs) but I've never been so deeply bored by a movie in my entire life oh my god holy shit Uh, yeah coming in hot coming in caliente body so sorry but that is how i feel and i have to speak my truth (laughs) fair enough there honestly some of the overwriting i don't know i just like the tone gets bizarre at some points where it's like also i feel like removing adam sandler and like telling taylor to take it down a couple notches could have resolved the tone issues too yeah Mm -hmm. because there was some things that was like I feel like Taylor Leone was like was maybe not communicated with very effectively of like this isn't like you're not doing like a when Harry met Sally orgasm in this that whole scene. Was, <laughs> oh my I gosh! Blocked that out because I was like, "What? You don't even need me." Uh, the mother of two children right here. <laughs> and then as she orgasms, she goes wee. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like in another movie could have been pretty funny, but in this movie was like, <laughs> what is going on? Because then it cuts to like a pretty serious. Because I think that the takeaway from that scene was supposed to be like they're not connecting. <laughs> right. That's never right. happened before. That's. <laughs> uh, I thought the tone issues were kind of funny too. Um, yeah. Well, let's let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I'll do the recap and then we'll go from there. Cool. Okay, so there is this framing device where a young woman, Christina Moreno, has submitted a college admissions essay about the story that we are about to see unfold. And then we get her voiceover throughout the movie, which is like her reading this essay, telling this story. Mm -hmm. So it begins with us meeting six-year-old Christina and her mother, Flor, played by Paz Vega. They live in Mexico. Flor's husband has just left the family. So Flor decides to take Christina and immigrate to the U.S. They go to L.A. Flor works a couple jobs. Then after six years of living there, her cousin Monica sets her up with an interview for a higher paying job working as a housekeeper for the Klatsky family. Uh, Trouble is, Flor doesn't speak English. So Monica accompanies her to the interview to translate. During this interview, we meet Deborah, that's Taya Leone, uh, her daughter Bernie, uh, Deborah's mother Evelyn, played by Cloris Leachman. They're a well-to-do family in LA. Deborah's husband is, her husband, is a top chef. He's the top chef. And then they say like, she, she's like, 
they do like I don't know James Brooks is like I feel like he he always gives me just enough that I'm like God I guess I can't be mad at him about that I'll have to find something else where you, like you find out that Deborah used to do something but then something something now she doesn't now she's a full time mom right she's like an interior decorator or something some design person it's like a movie job yeah mm-hmm. so Deborah offers Flor the job. So she and Christina celebrate, then Flor starts the job, which is when we meet John. That's Adam Sandler. She starts working. There's definitely a language barrier between her and the family. Deborah is very high strung. She we see her get on her daughter's case about her weight, including when she buys clothes for Bernie that she knows are too small for her. <sighs> in hopes that they'll motivate her to lose weight. Evil. Yeah. Horrible. Deborah is never, like, redeemed the whole time. She really... Right. Bad person. Yeah, she's just, like, cartoon evil. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, and it kind of, like, it gets worse as the movie goes on. Yeah. Like, she gets worse and worse. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That thing to Bernie was, like, I've, I was like, that's worse than when she cheated on Adam Sandler, as far as I'm concerned. That was pure evil. <laughs> yeah, that was that was the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Who's that actress who plays Bernie? I haven't seen her in any... She was... I unfortunately uh, had to out myself as someone who has watched every episode of The Good Wife. Oh. She was on mm-hmm. The Good... She was the, she was the daughter on The Good Wife. <laughs> uh, Sarah Steele is her name. Sarah Steele. Yeah. So this obviously very much upsets both Bernie and John, but Deborah is all like, John, we have to be on the same page as parents. So then John confides in Flor about this, even though she doesn't understand what he's saying, but she does understand why Bernie was upset. So she takes some of the clothes and alters them so that they will fit Bernie and then has Christina teach her how to say, just try it on in English <laughs> so that she can tell Bernie to try on the jacket. And she does, and it fits. Then we get this whole sequence where this restaurant critic had come to John's restaurant, and then he reads what turns out to be a very good review of his restaurant in The Times. And everyone in the family is super excited. And this is when we get that very weird sex scene between Adam Sandler and Taylor Leone, where she's like screaming at the top of her lungs. Right. I don't think he's even inside of her, right? Because he's like, he, he keeps saying, you can do this without me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's false propaganda about how easy it is to make someone come that's but also it's like aren't there kids home she's like screaming the door is open during that the door is open (laughs) the kids were just right there reading the review like it's so confusing That scene should have cut it, should have cut it. Kind of glad they didn't because it's just like... That should have been cut. Like we already knew that the relationship wasn't working. (laughs) Like why did they do that? It's funny. I don't. I think every scene should have been cut. Okay. Then then Deborah rents a house in Malibu for the family to stay in for the summer. And she wants Flor to stay with them as well which at first she refuses because she doesn't want to leave her daughter Christina behind. But then Deborah is like, no, your daughter can live here too. 
So Flor and Christina move into this rental home for the summer, uh, which some drama ensues from there where Flor is mad that Deborah took Christina shopping and to get her hair done without telling Flor. Um, Then there's this whole thing with John offering to pay the kids to find sea glass, which Christina finds a bunch of, and then he pays her like over $600 for it. And then Flor calls him out for meddling in her daughter's life. I mean, he should have told Flor that that was yeah, good. like That he was giving her like rent money. <laughs> I was like, you can't just give a 13-year-old $600. What will they do? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that was kind of perverted. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so she calls him out and then he calls her out for meddling in his daughter's life when she altered Bernie's clothes. Also, Christina is translating for both of them during this scene because Flor still does not speak English. And then Flor is like, you're right. I am a hypocrite. And John is like, wow, it's so cool that you admit that you agree with me and that you admit it's so cool when you tell me I'm right. And then this is the beginning of what seems like it might be a romance between them. And then this is also when Flor starts to learn English, which she appears to do in a week. It's like over the like course such... of the summer, it yeah. seems like. Yeah, but she's already been there for a while. And it just seems like she learns, she becomes fluent in English very fast. <laughs> I do like the scene where her and... What's Evelyn? Evelyn's Cloris Leachman. Is that her name? Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do like when they're like on the couch and she's like holding a glass of wine and repeating English <laughs> words with her because she's just like wasted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I had a totally false memory of this movie that was like ended up being way too kind to the movie that in my like memory of this movie, I was like, oh, yeah, Adam Sandler also learns some Spanish, mm. but that doesn't happen. Oh, no, he doesn't. No one in the Klatsky family learns a single word of Spanish. Yeah. It doesn't come up. <laughs> okay, so she is learning English, and then one night, John comes home really drunk, and it seems like he's trying to flirt with Flor. Deborah is out somewhere. It seems like she's kind of sneaking around. We're not really sure what's going on there. And then Deborah gets Christina a scholarship at a private school where Bernie goes. And Flor feels weird about it, as if, you know, Deborah is still meddling in her daughter's life, which she is. Yes. And then Flor talks to John about it, and they bond a bit over that. Then one night, Deborah confesses to John that she's been having an affair. And John leaves the house, and as he's leaving, he takes Flor with him, who, by the way, she was there to quit her job working for them. They keep gaslighting this poor woman into not quitting her job that she wants to quit so badly. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So much manipulation from everybody. And then, so John is like, hey, Flor, do you want to hang out? And she's like, I guess. So then he takes her to his restaurant and he's like, you're beautiful. And then they kiss and then they talk all night. (laughs) He says they should name a gender after you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But also he has that hair when he's saying. (laughs) They should name a gender after you. (laughs) Just like, 
He's also like periodically screaming throughout the movie. He's like, you're just so fucking beautiful. I can't even look at you right now. I quit this job. I feel this is like, this is like an early dramatic turn for Adam Sandler, right? Because he did that Paul Thomas Anderson movie that everyone loves. Yeah. With a name that I don't remember. Punch Drunk Love. Punch Drunk Love. Everyone loved his dramatic turn in Punch Drunk Love. And then I think people were maybe like, because that movie was from like 2002. I think everyone's like, Oh, like he could probably do any part, but but the answer was no. He can just scream. No. <laughs> he can do Punch Drunk Love, and he can do Hubie Halloween. He can be ha- Hubie Halloween, and he can do. I keep wanting to say the Righteous Gems, Uncut Gems. Uncut. He can gems. do oh. Cum Slut Gems, and all the other ones. <laughs> stinky, stinky, <laughs> stinky. <laughs> oh gosh! They should name a gender after you. <laughs> So he's all like, you're beautiful, and they kiss, and they're talking, and then Flor is like, I love you, and we're like, what? And then (laughs) Flor runs away, and then the next day, she tells Christina and the rest of the Klasky family that she quits, and there's this big tearful goodbye. Flor says goodbye to John, and they leave, and Christina is really mad at Flor for quitting and pulling her out of this private school. But then Christina soon forgives her mother and understands that everything she does is for Christina. And that's the end of this movie that doesn't have a plot. <laughs> and Not nice. But that's the story. Let's take a quick break and then we'll come right back to discuss. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. 
If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. And we're back. Does anyone want to start any particular place with this movie? We know Caitlin does not like it. (laughs) Caitlin hates it. (laughs) I'm curious to know. I want to hear more about like your experience, Melissa, watching this as a younger person with your family and like the connection you had to it culturally and things like that. I mean, I think when I first saw it, it was like, okay, 2004. So it was like, oh my God, like representation. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I think my mom was really emotional about it. As I said before, like my older sister would like translate around for her and like my mom would like clean houses. I mean, watching it now, there are a bit of things that are like slightly two-dimensional about the Moreno family, I guess. But I think it's still pretty good about, like, class and, uh, like, xenophobia. I I was, like, surprised at how good of it it was in 2004. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think, like, Christina in particular really, like, I feel like I've been that, like, young Latin child where these, like, scary white ladies, like, see a lot of things in me. And I really think that the movie takes this like almost radical turn where she's like, oh no, like I'm taking my daughter away from this. Like she can do, she can like be successful in this country without assimilating Mm -hmm. or being like, like being part of whiteness. Sure. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I also like always fucking lose my shit when she says I stand firmly in my identity like relies on like one thing and that is I am my mother's daughter. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It kills me. It kills me. Um, Yeah. That makes sense. And that, that all tracks to me. And I think that is the movie's one strength. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, for me, like one of the things that pinged me was just that for the first half of the movie, Flor is like not really the focus. She isn't given like so many of the scenes revolve and so much of the tension and conflict revolve around this white family. Yeah. Yeah. Even though Flor is the protagonist, she's framed as the protagonist of this movie. And Mm -hmm. I just feel like if you're going to tell a story about an immigrant woman from Mexico coming to the U.S. with her young daughter and kind of grappling with this, like, do I make an effort to learn this new culture and language and assimilate or do I maintain my my cultural identity from Mexico and all these things that an immigrant has to deal with and think about. I cannot think of a more boring version of this <laughs> story than this movie where like she isn't even the focus for the first half of the movie and then when she does start to become the focus it's it's because she's learning English and is now better able to communicate with this rich white family and then is falling in love with Adam Sandler (laughs) (laughs) and then yeah no I I I definitely felt like this movie like kept reroute like I think that there's an argument that 
the actual like it this movie was marketed as adam sandler being the protagonist yeah the introduction mm-hmm. to the movie wants you to believe that flor is is the protagonist but then the way the movie plays out you're like it, it could be deborah also like there's right you, like right. It, it is kind of confusing yeah this is deborah's story <laughs> this is, and the story beginning middle and end is deborah sucks like she's <laughs> terrible <laughs> But I, yeah, I felt like there were some creative choices that I wanted to like, I don't know, just like get everyone's opinions on because I also felt like not even, I mean, it feels like we're not spending enough time with Flor for much of the second act, Mm -hmm. but also like, I felt like James L. Brooks and I like read some interviews with him and his choice to not include subtitles in this movie was like very, very deliberate. He didn't want there to be subtitles. Yeah, and I i mean, I do not speak Spanish, and I felt like not letting us know what Flor was saying was like putting the audience in, Oh yeah, I don't know, just like it was creating distance between me and like the protagonist who I want to know what she's saying, I want to know what she's feeling, but I don't know, I just found that to be kind of like a frustrating experience because the performance is so good and there's like a lot in the story that I wish was like focused on more but it just felt like there was like this this distance created between I guess me and the movie that I wish wasn't there that is so weird because it does seem to be like a movie made for like white American audiences so like the decision to not put subtitles in is like let's like further make this woman like let's like put her on this like weird ethnic pedestal where she's kind of like mute almost (laughs) like and just like miming all the time (laughs) yeah yeah it was like it's like uh, yeah it's like and and not that every movie should cater to my exact like the languages that I speak but it but particularly because it's like a movie by like a legacy white guy I was like why did you do this like yeah I don't know why is he the one to tell this story like who who is James L. Brooks to be like you know who knows exactly what it is to be a woman from Mexico immigrating to the U.S. me James L. Brooks like (laughs) like yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking like this movie's like a really good like case study on whiteness in the same way maybe um ooh, the white lotuses because mm-hmm. like the person who made it like who knows whiteness better than James L. Brooks maybe, you know, yeah. or <laughs> right. Or the same thing with like I mean Roma is a movie in Mexico, but it's mm-hmm. about like white Mexicans and then you're like realizing that like Mexicans can be white because you're seeing it's like in black and white and you're seeing like how much darker skinned the indigenous like housekeeper is Mm -hmm. but like that movie was made by someone who like grew up rich and white in Mexico and was like I want to examine and like interrogate this so I feel like the Klaskis are really like three-dimensional and I'm like I feel like I I know people like this and then Flood like (laughs) her family you just see them like in like two-minute bursts like eating tamales right (laughs) right it's like you don't spend any time with her family yeah and you spend so much time with with the Klaskis yeah right yeah in the few scenes early on where you would get some insight into Flor's life like when she's communicating with her daughter or her cousin Monica or something like that because the movie isn't subtitled 
it makes it kind of unaccessible to your average American movie going audience member yeah. which again it's not as though every movie needs to cater to that person <laughs> no but james l brooks movies do so right. it's just like confusing yeah when you're releasing a james l brooks movie into the u.s like chances are your again average member of the audience speaks one language and it's english so yeah it, it that was an interesting choice that i don't think was super effective and only served to yeah just sort of like other floor more mm, yeah. and not let the audience get to know her and like understand what she's dealing with and what she's going through yeah mm-hmm. yeah I've always been like um like this is like the fifth time I've watched this movie and I'm always like struck by how Flood is just such like a I don't know this like Mexican sage who has she like embodies like the best qualities of like a woman which is like like she's like the best mother and she's like curvaceous and she's sensitive and kind and like like her personality is being like a womb <laughs> like yeah 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 she's very mommy she's very mommy <laughs> she's so huge mommy <laughs> yeah but I did I mean Going back to where you started, Melissa, I mean, I I think that, like, the relationship with Fleur and Christina is, like, so, like, that's one of the most effective parts of the movie, and anytime there's, yeah, and also just, like, the chemistry between those two actors was so good, and Mm -hmm. I wish, like, there are so many threads in this movie that were more interesting to me than, and it's not like I didn't want her to have love, like, I, I also, like, whatever like it seems and I and to an extent I do understand what she and Adam Sandler saw in each other if I really thought about it I'm glad that the movie is kind of like well obviously this isn't gonna work out because um yeah she's too good for him (laughs) and he's a mess (laughs) yeah but I mean I did see what they saw in each other but it just it felt like the I really enjoyed scenes with Flor and Christina and Flor and Mm. Bernie. I wish that you got more with like Christina and Bernie. I thought that there was like probably a cool dynamic there that you never really got to see. Right. There were some elements of Deborah that was like, oh, this is like a good opportunity to, you know, interrogate whiteness and interrogate white women. And and she very, very clearly, and the movie seems to know like that she thinks that she is like the queen of wokeness and is doing the right thing at all points when in fact she can be extremely condescending. She'll Uh shut down conflict. She'll tell people how they feel. She's very entitled, like all this stuff that is like, you know, very worth exploring. And then, but then in other moments she would be a cartoon character and then it's like, well, yeah. So what does she do? Like, what are you trying to say with her? (laughs) Cause no, like in some (laughs) scenes it was like, Oh, she's like, I mean, like, whatever, Karening out before that was a popular term. Right. And then in other scenes, you're like, nobody has acted like this in the history of the world. (laughs) So, like, what? Uh, Do you not say, wee, every time you have an orgasm? And then she, like, passed out. Like, it was 
so and then she starts to cry <laughs> that scene was bananas i mean that's like whatever i'm absolutely flabbergasted by that <laughs> sex scene all of the adam sandler reactions too were like horrible like the whole movie he's making those noises he's like yeah. ah. <laughs> he just like can't believe it that's <laughs> But yeah, no, Jamie, you're right. Like this could have this movie could have been an interesting opportunity to examine and criticize what a lot of like rich white people do to marginalized communities and especially someone that they kind of like Deborah clearly see like to her Flor is like the help, you know, like she's like she's so condescending to her. She never makes any effort to learn spanish like just it's this weird power dynamic that could and should be examined and interrogated and the movie i think does try to do that to some extent but where it lands i'm just like okay what's the takeaway here exactly (laughs) like also like one of the many dropped threads of this movie was also between like trying to contextualize who Deborah is and why she is the way she is. Yeah. Which mm-hmm. honestly I didn't think was like completely necessary. But they try to be like, well, her mother like she's the child of an alcoholic and the movie tries to like contextualize her like hyper insecurity through that lens, which is like okay, I see, like, I thought it was super underexplored, and then it kind of ended in a joke where Cloris Leachman is like, I see what you're saying, but, like, shut up, and that was kind of the end of, like, exploring (laughs) that. But also, it seems to, like, conflate all this stuff. Like, she's like, "Uh, yes, Deborah's character is very insecure, and it is, she is, like, weaponizing that insecurity against everyone in her life, but, like, her being the child of an alcoholic is not making her racist like that you know like like deeply (laughs) classist and I feel like it's like conflating all of those issues with like well she's very insecure you're like well there's a lot going on that's not right Mm -hmm. with Deborah (laughs) like yeah I don't know yeah confusing yeah I feel like if the movie could have been so much more about mothers and daughters it's like that's like my favorite part of it I think you know Mm -hmm. between Floyd and Christina and like and then also seeing like how uh the last generation is like dealing with all of their mother's shit, you know? Yeah. Right. That is a really good point. That could have been the focus of the movie where it's like, you have these two sets of like mother daughter dynamics with Flor and Christina and what they are dealing with as they navigate the world. And then what are Mm -hmm. Deborah and Bernie dealing with as they navigate the world in their like much more privileged position and like an exploration of those dynamics and how there are like similarities and differences between these two pairs of people and like, what might that look like and what could that mean? And there's a lot to explore there that could have been interesting. And again, I think they, the movie tries to start exploring something, especially when it comes to this thing where Deborah is hounding her daughter to lose weight, mm-hmm. which is terrible, a horrible thing for her to be doing. It's yeah. affecting Bernie very significantly. It's affecting her husband because her husband hates to see her treat her daughter that way. But then that thread just kind of gets dropped and then there's not that just like isn't part of the movie after a while 
Yeah. So yeah, her daughter never gets to like heal from that or like instead, I mean, Florida like makes her clothes bigger and then that's, I think, supposed to be, is like the lesson there like, okay, if you're, if someone should be nice to you. (laughs) Right. Yeah. That takeaway is confusing. And then a little, I guess a little bit later, Deborah really takes an interest in Christina and it almost, and like, (laughs) <laughs> sort of treating her as if like, oh, this is the daughter I wish I had. Oh, yeah. yeah. Because she's like, you know, taking her shopping and taking her to get her hair done and like all this stuff that I think it's clear that Bernie would like to do with her mom, but because she doesn't like fit the image that Deborah has for what she wants her daughter to be, she instead takes this interest in Christina. And it's just like, that's like such a devastating thing for bernie to have to deal with and then that also just doesn't really get explored yeah she's like fucking everyone over in that scene that was like i was like wow this character is playing like a game of 40 chess of making everyone unhappy because i mean it's exciting for christina in the moment but also it's like deborah's just so deeply selfish in everything she's doing there i feel like she she seemed to like take this like real pleasure in exerting control over floor and like over mm-hmm. feeling entitled to her life in a way that the movie yeah. seems aware of but it just yeah like it doesn't really land anywhere they're just sort of like yeah this lady's fucked up but like <laughs> she like rejects her daughter and so it's like painful for bernie to see that christina isn't at a point at this point in the movie where she understands that this like rich lady is exerting her power over her for maybe not a completely altruistic reason obviously Mm, right and she's like just showing how she can control Flor's life again like that was so uh it yeah bothered me so much like Deborah sucks so bad she sucks so bad Uh, I wonder if like her redemption is supposed to be wrapped up in how at the end she just says I'm so glad that you came back like that's supposed to and it's like she's like giving giving something I don't know like she's like doing something like not selfish for once I but like (laughs) that's like the other thing too is like the where I don't know I guess I don't really want to talk about the White Lotus, but I, but like I think that that's like an interesting <laughs> parallel to draw here of like yeah I I I get like and it's kind of like a wash, but especially because James L. Brooks is a white guy trying to write a story about a marginalized character and about mother daughter relationships. You know, it's not against the law. It mm-hmm. is certainly like we should like keep talking about it because he misses some stuff and I thought one of the bigger misses outside of clearly having more interest in the white characters in his movie than the Mexican characters that he claims that the movie is about he also seems to like let John off for it's like oh Deborah is the devil yeah Um, she's the most (laughs) evil person and like all the sins of richness and whiteness are characteristics that she exhibits and then John's just kind of like this amazing guy who yeah. is it like it's like well that's not real like what yeah 
It's never examined to how like maybe his career like made Deborah feel insignificant. Like, cause she keeps being like, sure. who am I? Yeah. I don't know who I am. Right. And he's like, oh, I got too many stars on my, my <laughs> kitchen <laughs> review. I'm too good of a cook. God <laughs> yeah. damn it. Things will never be the same. <laughs> and he keeps like acting like he, I don't know, like, as he and Flor's connection is like deepening, mm-hmm. he keeps kind of being like, "Ugh, I'm sorry about Deborah. There's really, I, I wish I could do something." And it's like, "Well, you could, probably could do something. Like, why don't you try yeah. to do?" I like this. Like, there were there were a few different scenes where it's like the movie is just like really trying to make him out to be this like sweetheart romantic hero who like. I don't, I don't know. Like, yeah. And the John character is like, I don't know. There were some scenes where I was like, I see what they see in each other. But then in other scenes, I was like, he's creepy. And he keeps trying to talk to her while he's really (sighs) drunk. Like, yuck. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Wait, I want to get into this, but let's take a quick break first. And then we'll come right back. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Are you ready to share some joy and celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's has partnered with iHeart for Women Take the Mic, treating you to the most uplifting and empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight like listening to your favorite podcast. So grab a handful of that creamy deliciousness. Kick back and spread some positivity into the world. From smashing glass ceilings to breaking records in sports, on stages, and at the box office, women are crushing it in every way imaginable. And with peanut butter M&Ms by your side, relax and keep listening to Women Take the Mic podcasts as you dance your way through inspiring stories, share laughs, and savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&Ms and the unstoppable force of women. Happy International Women's Day. If you're ready for an epic family vacation, there's no better place than sunny Orlando. Exciting thrills, never-ending food festivals, fresh new dining experiences, outdoor adventures, and Florida's natural springs, and so much more. Orlando has it all. And Visit Orlando's vacation planners can help you plan the perfect trip. In Orlando, anything is possible, if you can imagine it. And that's what makes Orlando unbelievably real. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. And we're back. 
So, yeah, the romance between Flor and John is... This movie, like, Buscemi tests itself, interestingly <laughs> enough, because he looks Wait, and sounds that? creepy. Uh, <laughs> Buscemi tests... I want to rename it, but uh, it basically just, like, if you swap out the, like, a supposedly romantic behavior that, like, a traditionally hot guy is exhibiting in a movie and you switch it out with Steve Buscemi, would it be creepy? <laughs> and if it would be really creepy, then it fails the test and it's a creepy interaction. So, pic- yeah, oh like, God. so picture, like, the notebook and instead of Ryan Gosling, like, <laughs> stalking Rachel McAdams, if it's Steve Buscemi, is it now much more clear that this behavior is extremely creepy and stalkery? Yeah, and to be clear, Steve Buscemi's hot, but just in terms of like, He's yeah, so that's hot. how we've characterized the test over <laughs> yeah. the years. A listener had pitched, I think, instead of Steve Buscemi, Gritty, the oh. mascot for that the Philadelphia is Flyers. it the Philadelphia? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah the Gritty test. Like, yeah, if you just like switch out, that is maybe better because it's like you know Steve Buscemi is hot. <laughs> but yeah, this like until we come up for uh, with a better name for that test, this movie fails it. But also, like Adam Sandler like looks and behaves kind of creepy for the whole movie, so you don't even yes. really need to like stretch your yeah. imagination. Yeah, I feel like John's supposed to be bashful, but instead he's just like about to explode all the time, <laughs> or he just like is, or is the same behavior as when you're like hiding a boner? He's like. <laughs> I don't know. He's just like, ah. <laughs> He's not giving me stability. He's not giving me yeah. no. He has so many weird outbursts that I think are supposed to be comedic, but I'm just I like, th- oh, again, definitely. the tone yeah. is so weird that I'm like, I, I was I supposed to laugh at that? I don't know. Um, but she's like charmed. <laughs> she's charmed. Right. It's so confusing. Okay. So here, as far as what I could tell, here is kind of the trajectory of this romance between Flor and John. So it starts where John is giving her a ride to the bus stop. He is crying because he saw how his wife had just treated their daughter about like, you know, buying her those clothes that are too small and berating for her for her weight. And it really affects John. And Flor is like impressed that he seems to be emotionally open and vulnerable. There's voiceover from Christina saying it's it's like the opposite of the like, quote, Latin macho that Flor is used to and that he seems to, quote, have the emotions of a Mexican woman, <laughs> where obviously that framing is not <laughs> great yeah but james l brooks wrote that down like yeah he was like like yes yeah (laughs) cut and print i like when he's wiping his tears away with a (laughs) seatbelt. that was funny (laughs) that was kind of funny it's like there are moments in this movie that are like and that felt like the right kind of funny for the kind of movie it was yeah (laughs) at least yeah Yeah, i get yeah closer closer than the than the orgasm scene Right. True. True. (laughs) So uh, this didn't bother me because, uh, well, aside from the way that some of this like voiceover is written, but the fact that Flor is impressed and, and intrigued by John's emotional openness and vulnerability is like something that we should as a society value more in men especially because men are so conditioned to be emotionally 
repressed and withdrawn and all this stuff. So that I was like, okay, I understand that is a reason why Flor would be interested. And also, I I thought that that even though it was like another thread that I felt like was dropped, that felt like a really like setting something up for uh, for Flor and Christina that just like kind of went away. But that opening scene where you find out that Flor is not very emotionally open and she's like pushing tears back into Christina's head being yeah. like you get one, one tear, tear so use yeah. it wisely <laughs> right. and like I thought I was like oh okay yeah and like not even able to like show her emotional vulnerability in front of her daughter she like runs right. out of the room if she starts to cry so that her daughter can't see her right. be emotional and then at the end she cries finally yeah and asks right. if she doesn't want to be like her I wish that there was like uh, I just wish that we like got to know more about Flor. I feel like that moment should have like I mean it still hit for me because I just like, yeah me too <laughs> have a lot of nostalgia. Little bitch. <laughs> right? Yeah, I was just like oh gee, mommy. <laughs> like yeah, it's like that's the way that the love story worked for me was like oh they see things. I mean like she sees an emotional vulnerability in him that she can't do herself and I feel like that is very attractive sometimes where you're like oh my god look at you expressing yourself I can't do that imagine if I yeah give me a little kiss (laughs) their main thing is like how they they like bond over how they want to be parents Mm -hmm. I guess and also I guess that's how sometimes people get together I don't know right they like love their kids and they hate Deborah. That, and that's enough to build a relationship on. Yeah. <laughs> right, because there's that scene where they're on the beach and Flor confides in John because she's like, hey, it seems like your wife is kind of like meddling in my daughter's life. And he's like, yeah, I feel really weird about it too. And then she says something like, I've never met a man who can put himself in my place like you do. And I was a little unclear. I was like, does she mean like put... But I think what she means is like, put himself in her shoes and like empathize and understand where she's coming from right okay so yeah I was like okay that's also like a compelling reason to have an emotional connection that tracks for me but then he also immediately after that she's like standing in the on like the windy beach and then he screams (laughs) at her he's like get out of the wind (laughs) and it's like what is because of your audacious body (laughs) It's like <laughs> so there's weird stuff like that and then yeah. to me the kind of the final beat that makes us know like oh wow like yep they're falling in love is a scene that does not work for me where they're arguing she's calling him out for giving her daughter that money without consulting her first mm-hmm. and he's like well you're a hypocrite because you meddled in my daughter's life by altering the jacket and She's like, yep, you're right. I'm a hypocrite. I also interfered. There's no difference. Um, You're right. And he's like, I'm horny. What? You're not arguing with me? Yeah. You're telling me that I'm right? So also, weird. I like disagree with that. I do think it's different. Like, I feel like it, there, yeah. there's like multiple points yeah. where they're like, that completely ignores like the power dynamic that exists between the two of them that like ignores right. the intent behind what they were trying to do it ignores like the like gravity of the task where yeah. it's like and like the gendered nature of the task like yeah yeah sewing versus like he's like the man of the house who provides for all, everyone money. like yeah 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 it's uh-huh. felt like i was like 
I, I appreciate about how Flor's character is written that she is very clear about what her values are. Like she will not accept a violation of a bow or well, she, she does because she's repeatedly pressured to not quit the job, but mm-hmm. she's willing to communicate like, Hey, that wasn't okay with me. Do not do that again, which is great. But then also, yeah. And that scene, I was like, Ooh, don't give up that point. It is different. Yeah, it is different. Yes. And then something very weird to me happens where when he takes her to his restaurant Mm -hmm. and he's saying, I love you. You're beautiful. They should name a gender. Let's kiss each other. We should name a gender after you. She at that point does not know that Deborah was cheating on John. So as far as she knows, their marriage is fine. And she's written to be the type of person who would not interfere in a marriage and like not be willing to kiss him or engage with him in in any romantic way because I mean maybe I'm misreading her character again we don't know that much about her but I feel like what we do know she would be like no you're married I'm not gonna engage with this yeah but instead she she kisses him and then she's like I they you know canoodle all night and then she says I love you and it's like first of all I understand you like admiring him for a few different things he's said and done over the movie but like you love this guy like okay it makes me so sad for her i'm like i know all these men in your life must suck right if this is the one that you're like this is the most scene i've ever felt you're like no we gotta help her we gotta help her but it didn't make any sense that she was engaging with this like romantic moment because again she seems to me like the person type of person who would be like no you're married and I work for you also like this is inappropriate like you're my employer your wife is my employer like this is not appropriate and instead she's like kiss kiss I love you right and And then she's like I have to quit right right and it's like she has to give up her livelihood it's not fair like right yeah like based on i feel like based on what we know about this character like it's just i don't know and then the ways that it felt like every reference to latin manhood and masculinity was so written by james l brooks it really hated latin men yeah Yeah. except for that goofy guy who was like i'll translate forever when he yeah looks at her (laughs) like taylor bullies yeah i was like was this a callback to the selena movie where someone was like anything for selena's it's not it really <laughs> felt like that oh yeah it does kind of yeah it does right <laughs> but yeah i felt like the james l brooks writing kept in moments where he couldn't think of a way to make john seem like a viable romantic I- interest there would just be a voiceover line that was like punching down at Latin men and Latin masculinity to be like, so yeah. of course it makes sense that you would want to date this guy. It's like, it just like wasn't <laughs> Damn. Right. necessary. I don't know. It was like, it just wasn't necessary. I'm nervous about how formative this movie was for the people I date. I'm like, mm. I was like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn. I just like listened to it and I only date like explosive sensitive white men. <laughs> 
a bad vibe. <laughs> bad, horrible vibes. James L. Brooks, what the hell? James L. Brooks has to send you a personalized college application of <laughs> apology. Oh, the framing device of this movie. I mean, it do, it does it did make me cry. It's, so there you go. I did it cry. Is. I did cry. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm laughing and here's why I'm laughing because Christina You're laughing like Taylor Leone having an orgasm. I'm laughing because like Christina's college admission essay is about this story which is her mother's affair her mother's like the weird like this weird moment in her mother's life that like kind of doesn't really have anything to do with anything like it's just like (laughs) I think it's a very like how I met your mother kind of framing device where you're like no child would have this deep an interest in their parents sex lives gross right But who is she? The, the Olsen twins trying to get her their dad to hook up with somebody? <laughs> Billboard dad reference. I love it. <laughs> uh, this is a quick thing, but one that it was like I paused the movie and did some math and it wasn't encouraging math. This scene where Deborah and Flor and um, what is her cousin's name? Monica all meet for the job interview first Mm -hmm. of all i think that i think that someone already said this but like monica should have just been a character in the movie like that we saw with regularity like yeah to give their lives like more shape and depth and she was just i mean like i really enjoyed the actress who who played her but that scene where Flor is negotiating a salary. Mm-hmm. I was trying to put myself in 2004 brain and it's still like not very helpful where, you know, we were told that she and Christina need $450 a week to survive, which is what they're doing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when Deborah asks, what do you want? And then kind of like Cheryl Sandberg's for a second. And is like, you got to ask for what to, you, is worth, but you can't ask for more than you're worth or then you're a bitch or like whatever she said. So yeah. Like, yeah. You're taking advantage. Right. So, so she's like being Cheryl Sandberg. And <laughs> then I think it's Flor who says, a thousand dollars a week which is like yeah. and then she's like that's a joke just kidding it's a joke like it's a joke but she's being asked to work a 72 hour week that's like not unreasonable right like it just if you break that down because i i like went back and rewatched the scene and crunched some numbers where taya leone was <laughs> like i need you to work six days a week 12 hours a day how much do you want per week one thousand dollars a week what she ends up getting is six fifty a week, which that math boils down to about nine dollars an hour. Huh. So okay, wait, one thousand divided by seventy-two, that would be less than fourteen dollars an hour for one thousand dollars a week. So it's like this bizarro like joke that James L. Brooks is making of like, how dare like Flor ask for one thousand dollars a week is like still underneath yeah it's uh, and i know like 2004 money is is a little different from 2021 money but like Mm. not by much not by a ton right and for a movie that's so invested in talking about class it seems it's it seems really like i don't know off (laughs) Yeah, yeah why isn't that also if she is working somewhere between like eight and 12 hours a day and it seems like 
Flor is there a lot. Yeah. Because we only ever see her there, really, and never in her home with Christina. That also could be something you mine for tension and conflict. Like, what is Flor working 12-hour days, six days a week? What is that doing to her relationship with her daughter? Like, she's hardly going to be home then for her. And, like, what does... Like, can we explore that and, like, examine that? But the movie, again, doesn't really have any interest in Flor and her interior life. Right. And the motivation for her to work one job is just because her she saw a boy, like, touch her daughter's ass. Right. Right. And then it was like, but you're not home that much still. <laughs> right. And you're commuting. Like, the commutes seem pretty severe back and forth. The commute seemed awful. A mile right. to yeah. the bus stop? Uh, what? And then I'm guessing in she... In L.A.? I, yeah. We don't ever learn what neighborhood Flor and Christina live in in L.A., but it's probably pretty far from the very upscale neighborhood that the Klaskis live in. I thought it was like they were, I mean, whatever. Now we're just getting into LA talk. But it, it seemed like they were either downtown or on the east side, which, yeah. And then like Adam Sandler and Tay Leone are like living out this fucking like Westwood, Beverly Hills. Like, yeah, Beverly Hills, something. As a Metro user, that is an hour and a half commute yeah. if you're going clear across town like that right anyways yeah i i didn't that didn't even really connect for me of like she's probably not getting like that much more time with her daughter i mean i i understand why she makes the decision she makes but i just thought it was like especially for like a male writer to make that decision it just i didn't like quite get it yeah yeah that was bizarre but whatever that was just kind of like a weird writing choice that i'm like this guy is is definitely a guy Yep. Yeah, I could have gone, it could have really done something special talking about like women's labor, you know, mm. and like emotional labor between yeah. like what Clarence Leachman is doing at the end with Tay Leone and being like, like, let me give this to you as my, as a mother, you know, mm-hmm. and, right. and didn't. <laughs> yeah. Again, every thread just kind of is loose to begin with and then never ties up in any way or gets fully explored. Yeah. Still <sighs> cried my eyes out. <laughs> like, yeah, it's, that's the thing. It's like this. James L. Brooks was weird for this one, but I also do think that it's like, he knows how to make people cry a lot. Yeah. And he's very good at that. And it's also, I mean, I don't know. Like, this is very clearly not his story to tell. Yeah. And there was, I guess I, I wasn't super surprised to see in 2004 that there was absolutely no real pushback about the fact that he was doing mm. this because I feel like it's a, a very, like, a very 2004, but still, like, a contemporary problem as well of, but he could make a movie of this budget and scale that featured like an immigrant woman as a protagonist but that it's like this monkey's paw situation where it's like but he can't do that he can't execute that well based on who Mm -hmm. he is and so it's like uh, I don't know yeah it's frustrating yeah I want to talk about the casting Mm. of Mm. Paz Vega who plays Flor She's from Spain. Yeah. Interesting. So she's not from Mexico. And she looks so much like Penelope Cruz. She does look remarkably like Penelope she Cruz. Does. Yes. Who is yeah. also from Spain. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. 
Obviously, there are a lot of Mexican people who are of white European descent. Mm -hmm. However, this movie seems to me to code Flor as a brown person. Oh, yeah. A person of color, Mm -hmm. even though she is a white Spaniard European. Yeah. So it's not a great casting choice to cast this white European actor, code her as a person of color. There are plenty of Mexican actors who could have been cast in this role and then would have been able to like bring like the experience of a Mexican person or a Mexican American immigrant to their role and like have that be a part of the the role and the character, but that is not what happened in the casting. Yeah. I had no idea she was from Spain. Oh my God. I was duped. I feel like they, <laughs> she's like, <laughs> damn. I know. I didn't learn that until this morning. <laughs> I was like, Whoa. Oh, God damn it. Yeah. I also think there's this like, uh, there's a really weird thing with like, like her beauty in the movie where like, I mean, she's like so beautiful, but that's like mm-hmm. her whole, like she's like beautiful and doing housework and she's like beautiful and being a mother. And like Adam Sandler seems to only like say that she is beautiful. <laughs> and, and so does Deborah too. Like yeah. Deborah's constantly commenting on her appearance. And, and like Christina's, Christina's yeah. And like, in a way that almost feels fetishy to me, where they're Absolutely. like, look at yeah. this yeah. like exotic beauty that you are. Yeah. This family, like, yeah, very much exotifies, if that's a word. Yeah. Flor and Christina. Especially there's that scene where Deborah is introducing Christina to the like the director of this private school. Right, right. And then she like has a little aside mm-hmm. with this director who is a white woman and says, like, oh yeah, like she's great, she's so smart, she's so bright, and she's Hispanic. She like whispers in her ear yeah. as if to say, like, like, isn't she gorgeous? Yeah. Hispanic. <laughs> right. Yeah. And like look at the it's almost like look at the diversity you would bring into the school. Look at the my right. little project. Like she's like right. very much which at least the writing seems self-aware of. Of like, I hope so. Deborah's not supposed to seem right for that. Uh-huh. Like she's clearly wrong. And yeah, I mean, especially I don't know. Deborah's just so awful. awful where, <laughs> like, with Deborah, it's again like a one-two punch of racism and like exoticizing yeah. Christina, and then also her like own internalized misogyny comes out in those moments too because she can only understand women via commenting on and criticizing their appearance, which is like present in her, how she relates to Flor and Christina and also how she relates to her daughter. Like, yeah. And herself, like with the running and all like the obsessive, like, like maintenance Mm -hmm. of her body, which is like such a, I don't know, I guess like, I feel like I've, I'll recommend it for the five millionth time on the on this show. But fearing the black body and like mm. how American women, especially white American women, are like trained to be hyper vigilant towards their own bodies and punish other bodies that don't look like theirs, and just all this, yeah, just shit that is so present in her character. It's just so right. Ugh. I feel like um, voiceover Christina goes into that too and seems to like be aware of like this like sickness that American women have with like Uh being thin. But I feel, I feel Mm. like initially, like I may be giving the movie too much credit being like, look how aware they are of like 
you know, what the what is wrong with like white American women. But I feel like making Taylor Leone like such a cartoon of like a Karen before that was a term, like right. is almost like racist, but not towards her, like towards Flood, because it, it just makes Flood seem more amazing. And like what is the word? There's like a word for this where she's just like I don't know, she's just like infinitely better because of her quote unquote brownness and her like natural, like this like naturalness that seems to be like linked to her ethnicity, mm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, yeah, I mean, it's because I'm trying to remember the way that that like line of voiceover plays out, but. Oh, I wrote it all down. I <laughs> transcribed <laughs> okay. it. Ready? Please. But I feel like, yeah, what you're describing is like, she just, like, I feel like the movie starts to go somewhere with commenting on that hypervigilance. Yeah. And then, yeah, it turns to. Uh, what's the line? Okay, the here line? it is. There was one particular cultural difference which I wish to explore academically at Princeton because this is part of her <laughs> <laughs> admissions essay. They have to remind you every once in a while that, that <laughs> this is a... <laughs> um, American women, I believe, actually feel the same as Hispanic women about weight, a desire for the comfort of fullness. And when that desire is suppressed for style and deprivation allowed to rule, Dieting, exercising American women become afraid of everything associated with being curvaceous, such as wantonness, lustfulness, sex, food, motherhood, all that is best in life. All that is best in life. Yeah. Which is just like James L. Brooks is writing this. (laughs) And so it 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 does. I mean, mostly I'm curious as to your thoughts too but yeah it, it to me came off as like v- just very over generalizing and very like I don't know like othering yeah I mean I think like the thing with this movie is like I feel like James L. Brooks can like really like write his way out of anything like he's like seems like a very like beautiful like writer but that sentence like that sentence is really beautiful and it doesn't make any fucking sense <laughs> like is he saying like yeah. Yeah. is he saying like like Mexican women also are like this or that they're not like this. <laughs> I'm not right. It seems very reductive where he's just like yeah. womanhood equals curvaceous equals motherhood equals awesome. Right. And it's like equals uh, womb <laughs> equals eating. Like yeah. yeah. That line doesn't make a lot of sense. It's so <laughs> I know. I and you get like tricked listening to it because you're like, damn, like that's some bars there, what he's saying. And you're like, wait, <laughs> what? Or what but she's what saying. I'm say? already like <laughs> Yeah. Like, could he t- tell us what he's saying here? There was <laughs> this is I guess just kind of cause we have for some reason covered two James Brooks written directed movies on the show pretty recently. Yeah. So to our listeners, we'll stop doing that. What else has he done? <laughs> he did Broadcast News, which we covered with Dave Schilling, a movie I like a lot. But I felt like there was like, I guess just like knowing his writing style. This has nothing to do with anything. But I was getting kind of like Holly Hunter, neurotic woman, quote unquote, which is how James Brooks writes women. Yeah. I was getting Holly Hunter, neurotic woman vibes from Deborah, but like yeah. written way more scattered and all over the place because I feel like the Holly Hunter character in broadcast news is like very nervous and just like kind of this vibrating nerve but at least in that movie 
we talk whatever you can listen to the episode if you want but like it at least mostly made sense and was contextualized but for deborah it's like she's just all over the place like you just don't know yeah james brooks thinks women are very neurotic (laughs) he does and he's obsessed with the idea of a woman like going somewhere in private and bursting out into tears for a few moments and then coming back <laughs> yeah, in the room because that. that is also what Holly Hunter does throughout the movie and oh my God. what we see Flor do at the very beginning. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Wow. So... Wow. The more we talked about, I mean, and again, I guess this is this is just like women as James Brooks perceives them, but I wish that that trait that Flor has of compartmentalizing her feelings for the benefit of her daughter like I feel like that could have been a whole movie like getting back to like what we were talking about of this movie could be about two very very different families of women and why they deal with their shit the way they deal with it and like how and that would have been cool yeah yeah I just feel like you don't get a lot of like protagonists who are women which period you could say flor is or isn't depending on yeah you know your read of the movie i think she's supposed to be but you don't like get a lot of protagonists who are like women who do not express every emotion they're having like mm-hmm. I, it just feels like a more rare thing which i don't know i i am a woman that does express every emotion i'm having so right I'm bad writing but flor is you know I don't know. What? What? Mm. I have a question. I have two questions. Mm-hmm. One. Okay. Where does the sun go? Oh, he's in the movie for like two scenes. <laughs> he's so random. He got disappeared. He's so random. <laughs> he just like keeps not being there when you would expect a young nine-year-old kid to be at home. That story actually, that storyline got cut. He was abducted in the middle <laughs> of the movie. <laughs> But they're just like... They're like, we've done too much. There's too many characters. Yeah. <laughs> it does sound like James Brooks realized in the middle of the movie that there were way too many characters. He's like, they're not going to notice. <laughs> well, I noticed. Uh, second question. What is going on with the whole, like, chum the dog and the fetch thing? I thought that was going to, oh, like, yeah. pay off in some way or that was going to be a thing. But that's just, like, a weird detail that gets introduced and then like they do nothing with oh i thought that that was just a really heavy-handed way of saying that flor is not like other girls she throws the ball yeah oh <laughs> or she's like more in touch with like nature <laughs> and like nurturing you Ooh, know yeah yeah <laughs> like it could be like disney princess can like speak to animals yeah <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I do see it being like that, which is like... What the hell? First of all, why do you feel the need to say that? Second of all, what a weird way to say it. Also, there's a scene where Flor is at the Klasky house, in theory working, but she's putting together a puzzle. Did anyone notice this? Oh, yeah. She's putting a jigsaw puzzle together, and it's like... They're just like, look busy. Right. Yeah, can't you can't you send her home so she can spend time with her daughter? Like, what the... What are you making her put a puzzle together for? Like, what the fuck? Anyway, I hate this movie. That's Deborah. That's Deborah being a control freak. Another scene that I thought was, like, at least, like, knew what it was doing a little more than other scenes was that scene that it's just like excruciating to watch it's when deborah is trying to convince flor that she needs to come on the summer trip Mm -hmm. and she can't 
communicate with Flor, she says like, you still haven't learned English? And then she's like, I have to learn how to say that in Spanish. Being like, haha, I refuse to learn Spanish. Right. And that's funny. And yeah, then, you know, like grabs the nearest Spanish speaker and is like, translate for me right now so I can tell Flor what to do. And like just the way that she... I mean, we've had a lot of talk about how Deborah's shitty, but like this scene, I just hated her so much where Flor is setting a boundary. She's like, no, I can't do that. Like I have a daughter and Deborah is like hurt that she didn't know that Flor had a daughter, even though it's like, you never made any effort to like try to actually communicate right. with her about anything. Did you ever ask her about <laughs> her family? And also, yeah. And then Cloris Leachman kind of like, low-key comes to the rescue and is right. like well if she didn't tell you that she's probably really private and, and like i'll drive her home and like yeah. kind of is like which i mean she probably shouldn't she drinks all she, the drinks time. A like, lot. she probably can't drive yeah. but then it's like i hope this was intentional i think it was where deborah like is so insulted that flor is like talking to her like she's an employer and not a friend yeah because that is their relationship that Deborah's like well now I need to punish you and you have to come live with me and you have to like be close to me and I have to have access to all areas of your life yeah like, Ugh. creepy uh or just creepy Deborah tentacles <laughs> I know a true Ugh. villain the true villain of the movie really but John's an amazing guy. But. He's so awesome. <laughs> Why does he like her? And then she's like, I don't want to think that you're out of your mind for being in love with me. But it's like he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's another quick moment that I feel like, again, the movie starts to set up a thing that could have been explored and interesting commentary could have been made about it where Deborah and John are like not on the same page ever with their parenting tactics and this is something that Deborah keeps like hounding John about like we need to be on the same page and we as the audience are meant to identify with John and his approach because right. again Deborah because she's a woman written by James L Brooks is uh written to be quote unquote hysterical yeah so but she says you told our son that you're not mad at him and I am mad at him for something that we don't know what the son did. That never even becomes clear. We have no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah. But... And then he got kidnapped. And that then he sucks. got abducted. And then we never hear from him again. But <laughs> she's calling out her husband for making her seem like the bad guy because she's taking one approach and he seems like the good guy because he's not mad at their son. And like that's often a dynamic that plays out out in hetero marriages with children where yeah. like you know we've talked about this a lot on the podcast where you know women because they're conditioned to be the kind of more disciplinary just like more active and present parent they often have to do the more kind of disciplinary stuff whereas dads are sort of expected to be more oh i'm the i'm the mm. goof i'm the i we throw balls around and we play catch and do fun stuff and but again, that's just referenced in one scene. And it does feel like the movie falls on the side of like Deborah is being hysterical yeah. for bringing it up. Right. Where like Deborah is wrong for bringing most things up. But that <laughs> thing wasn't a thing that felt like yeah. 
It was almost like the way that the performance was. Right. We have no context. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's the this movie in a nutshell to me. Like, yeah, threads or like little seeds get planted that could have been interesting things to explore. But the execution on mm. nearly everything is completely ineffective. Yeah. <laughs> that maybe just says mm. more about like us and our family <laughs> I'm just like I think I love the movie because I like love my family <laughs> and I'm like whoa <laughs> um, sure that, and that's fair yeah yeah <laughs> that makes sense but I also like I don't know there's like I, I wish that we got to spend more time with Christina as well that was yeah. like one of my big things where Christina doesn't become an important part of the movie until like maybe almost halfway through, like not until the summer trip do we really see her. We don't know what she's up to yeah. because this movie is so like preoccupied with spending time with this rich white family and how Flor is interacting with them yeah. that we don't see. We, we hear Christina all the time, but we don't see her for like 20 mm-hmm. minutes at one point. And again, it's like, I don't know. Yeah. Like it's, she's such a, rich character who's so relatable to so many people i mean like melissa you were saying like she reminded you of your sister in some ways and it just seems like a lost opportunity to show and also a lost opportunity to give flor's character more depth because we could see you know right who is christina with when flor has to be at work all the time like how does she relate to monica how does she relate to the family like what What's going on with Christina? And we don't, we only, like, the movie only becomes interested in what is going on in her life once she, like, enters the assimilation zone. Right. And the movie does seem to be, like, ultimately, like, this assimilation is, like, not a positive thing for her. Yeah. But it doesn't show you, I uh, I don't know. Um, Yeah. The takeaway again, I'm just like, right. Eh. You tried movie, but you didn't really cross the finish line. Shout out though to Shelby Bruce, who plays Christina, who gave I think an incredible performance, especially during that yeah. scene where she is it's so cute so translating for her mom with the whole sea glass thing, and she's like really like communicating her mom's like intent, and but like she's having to talk about herself yeah but like because the conversation is about her but she's like having to refer to herself in like the third person because of the translation it's really like it's oh i just like the <laughs> rhythm of that scene that was probably my favorite the only scene i enjoyed in the movie to be frank yeah because of her like incredible performance she's so good and when she's like publicly scorning her mom i have like a visceral reaction to that yeah like I'm so embarrassed. Yeah. Like, I'll never forgive you for this. Yeah. (laughs) She's having a Deborah tantrum. (laughs) She's going Deborah. She's turning Deborah. (laughs) That scene, I thought, yeah, that scene was really, really, like, well executed. And and Shelby Bruce is the best part of it where, I don't know, I mean, Mm. I, I... have never been in a position where I had to translate between people, much less my own family. So it's not something that I personally understand, but it just, it's, I felt like the scene did get across what a stressful and kind of unfair experience that is for Christina to have to mediate a discussion about herself that she doesn't have any say in. Like there was no opportunity in that argument for 
Christina to say how she was feeling because the task at hand was to communicate how her mother was feeling and then communicate back how Adam Sandler was receiving it. And it's just like, oh, well, someone asked Christina what is on her mind. Like, she's doing a lot of heavy lifting here for this weird romance. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But that scene, yeah, that scene was very well acted. I was bummed that... I hope that she just like didn't feel like acting anymore, but she's she's not acting anymore. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But she did sign a deal with Claire's Boutique to have her own jewelry line, which launched in <gasps> September 2006. Oh. oh yes. I hope she's still living off of that. I hope so too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Something I realized is that for, again, a movie that is supposed to be focusing on this protagonist who is an immigrant from mexico we learn nothing about mexican culture even though it's clear that the character like her heritage is very important to her and that there's like voiceover in the beginning that says like my mother kept me in mexico for as long as possible to like connect me with my latin roots and then when they move to the u.s they move to a neighborhood of Los Angeles that seems to be predominantly other Mexican immigrants living in that neighborhood. And again, she keeps speaking the language. She It takes her years to start to even be motivated to learn English. So there's like all these, these indicators that her Mexican heritage is very important to Flor. And yet the movie doesn't tell the audience anything about the culture. Yeah. And I think it's just because like James, James L. Brooks, L. Brooks doesn't know anything. Doesn't didn't know. care. Yeah. <laughs> right. Didn't care. Yeah. I mean, it did seem like Melissa, you said this earlier where it's like the most you see of the culture that we're told repeatedly is so important to Flor is a cutaway to a party with characters we don't know eating tamales. And like that is yeah. all he was able to do. It seems like there wasn't even like Google involved. I don't know. Like I know. Yeah, it's just like seconds. It's like there's not enough time in this two hour movie. <laughs> <laughs> we have to have a whole subplot with this review of his restaurant, oh, restaurant. which is oh not and him crying important. Cheese. The restaurant, yeah. you could cut out the restaurant oh, entirely. You, yeah. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. It's so bizarre. It's I mean, I don't so much, but I don't hate it. But it's like whatever. Like the, that time could be better used for so many things. And it's like that in particular is like James L. Brooks could have gotten this movie made and done the bare minimum of like hiring a co-writer who was Mexican like collaborating instead of being like a James L. Brooks film about something that I'm saying it's about but actually it isn't like wow that's not too much to ask because I I was really curious about like because it seems like and I don't want to give him too much credit I'm trying to be careful like it does seem like James L. Brooks even when like when he he like misses the mark a lot but it doesn't seem like it's ever coming from like a place of cruelty it seems like it's usually from a place of ignorance and kind of like thinking he knows more than he actually does yeah yeah and like kind of like hubris of like well it's a james l brooks movie i can't collaborate with a second person you know who knows what they're talking about (laughs) and can write like Mm-hmm. So James L. Brooks did not do much press for this movie, but I was looking for an interview just to be like, 
what was his research process? Was there a research process? What work went into writing this script? Because it's so all over the place. And he says that he did, which, and this kind of made me laugh. He said that he did research for this movie for a year. A year. Like, what does that mean? <laughs> he, okay, so he Did he, gave... like, live in L.A.? It's like that. Yeah, did he? Yeah, exactly. So Did he just, like, exploit the labor of a Mexican immigrant as his, like, housekeeper for a oh year? Like, that's no. not good so enough. So what he did, I'll read it to you. It's a very, it's a roller coaster of a quote. Okay. So I'll just read it to you. This is an interview he did when the movie came out in 2004. Person asks, how much research do you do for a character? James Brooks says, enormous, 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 sitting around tables, sitting at my home, (laughs) gathering women, hearing great lines, seeing women with their children, having the kids translate, talking to them about that experience. That was just an accident when the kids were there with their mother one day, and that led to being the most important part of the story. Maybe hundreds of women, notebooks filled with transcripts, almost 90% of them in Spanish, which I don't speak, with somebody translating for me. And the nights when you get loose, the nights when you do it at night and you're just sitting around and it goes on and just when it stops being formal and some of the best of it is you're sitting back like at this certain point instead of asking questions and they're just talking to each other and somebody's just telling you what they're saying and it's great. There was a 19-year-old mother of a two-year-old I met, and she said this extraordinary thing. I had the line in the movie and I had to cut it out because I didn't shoot the scene. But she said that she... Well, she was a very attractive woman, and she said the next time she had a man who was viable at all that she'd, instead of dating him and finding out these facts about him, she'd want to take him to the park with her kid, see him interact with her kid, and make her decision on the guy based only on that. And that became the heartbeat that I kept on talking to within the movie. The the quote goes on. (laughs) I find this so weird and confusing where he just makes it sound like he was inviting women to his house and write it like oh, it just sounds uh-huh. at night i have so many questions uh yeah this is, like he should have just gotten like a co-writer or like just funded this movie and not made it himself like oh my god that yeah so that was that was his research process was women coming over his house and then him hiring a translator to write down what they said and then putting that in the movie which is also like exploitative in itself like it's deeply exploitative and like were the people he was talking to compensated were they credited i'm assuming not right who's the 19 year old mom who said something that inspired the whole movie (laughs) yeah what the fuck yeah so I got my answer, but it was very upsetting. Yeah. So that's an unfortunate look into what he meant by the term research. What he thinks is research. Which is just exploiting women that he encourages to come to his house. House. Just hire a co-writer. What the fuck are you doing, man? Horrible. Yeah. Yeah. So sorry, sorry for bringing the vibe down with that, but I just was like, "Damn, no, my my world has been rocked." No one's read that interview in seventeen years, and I feel like we need to <laughs> unearth it. Yeah. Does anyone have anything else they'd like to talk about? I, th- I don't think so. Yeah. Well, um, <laughs> does the movie pass the Bechdel test? Uh yeah, it does, right? Yeah, I think it for does. a lot of like like less so as the movie goes on, but at the beginning it passes a lot. Yeah. 
Right, because the focus. I mean, there are and there are different com- combinations where, of course, Flor and Christina, Christina and Deborah, Deborah and Bernice. You know, there's different combinations. Cloris Leachman and various characters. Right, 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 right. But yeah, you're right. As the movie goes on and the focus becomes about, <laughs> again, a romance that I could not be less <laughs> compelled by. <laughs> yeah, that uh, these other kind of interactions drop off a bit. But yeah, it does it does pass. Um, women are interacting quite a bit and often about the very mundane things that this movie is about. I've never... <laughs> sea glass? Why is there a 20-minute segment about finding sea glass in the sand? It's a metaphor. Yeah. It's, not, it's like so mundane that it sounds like James L. Brooks like, had done it himself. Like it's too specific. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, very, very so weird. confusing. And yet... I feel like it's like I don't know. I would I would definitely categorize this movie under the very overused term problematic fave. Problematic fave. For me it's a problematic least fave. Least fave. Oh. Yeah. Okay. She's edgy. <laughs> that's the Caitlin, that's the kind of edgy content you can expect on this show. Yeah. <laughs> More like I did not like it. Um the, the <laughs> Yeah, this movie it's just like I want James L. Brooks to answer for his research process. Yeah. Yeah. As far as our nipple scale goes, zero to five nipples based on examining the movie through an intersectional feminist lens. I feel like I, and I, I hated the movie so much that this might cloud my judgment, but I feel like I would still only give it like maybe a one and a half nipples because again it does attempt to make some commentary and on like you said the intentions never seem to be malicious or like a deliberate punching down the way a lot of comedies although i would not classify this movie as a comedy except for that one scene except for the we I had an orgasm. Where he goes, this lady had two babies and she's still keeping it tight. I'm like, what the fuck yeah. is going on in this? The shot? mother of two. Yeah, oh my God. Adam Sandler's just like asleep the whole movie. <laughs> He's asleep it's in a wig. Sad. Which honestly, there's worse ways to be. Yeah. So I think there's an effort made, but it's just that that effort was not not good uh it was not executed well and just between a lot of like threads that get dropped and some weird coding and casting stuff the the class commentary is a bit more effective for me but again the movie's so scattered and choppy narratively that i don't know what the takeaway is and it's just a big old mess for me. Um, I do appreciate and completely see how families and, and individuals um, <laughs> could see themselves represented in a movie like this, especially because so few movies, especially ones that are like mainstream theatrical releases and not many of them deal with the experience of 
an immigrant family. I would argue that this one barely explores that <laughs> um, because so much of the focus is still on the classy drama that's going on. But I still understand that there is some degree of representation that people can see themselves in. So I don't want to like diminish that or take that away from anyone. But luckily, it's not 2004 anymore. Oh, thank and, God. Yeah. <laughs> and representation in that regard has been getting slightly better in the years since. Yeah. So I'm only going to give it one and a half nipples. And I will give one to Christina. And I will give my half nipple to Flor. Uh, I feel like I'm being overly nostalgic, by, but like two i'm gonna go with two you know i i I think that this like movie is very much what is wrong with it is very glaringly wrong and the more you learn about the production the clearer it becomes why it's coming off the way it's coming off and like what like i do agree that it's like james brooks wasn't approaching this material with malicious intent but it was like it's clear that he's most interested in the Adam Sandler character, in which case, like, <laughs> so random. write a, di- like, that's a different movie. Make a different movie. Or, again, yeah. like, yeah. hire a co-writer who is interested in who you're claiming is your protagonist, because he just, like, yeah. seems interested in, you know, again, I mean, can't really speak to his intent, because he didn't do any interviews about this movie, except the one weird one, but, like... <laughs> weird that it does seem like he takes steps to other floor in many ways and ways that i think he views as very complimentary and like no i'm Mm. I'm not othering her i'm saying that she's absolutely perfect and the ultimate mommy and it's like well that's othering her you know like it's just Mm -hmm. like you were saying caitlin like and and like you were speaking about your own experience melissa that's like this this movie connected for reasons that are related to writing and for reasons that are related to lack of options of like in 2004. Yeah. yeah. Like it just, I know the only way to make a widely distributed movie about the story of two Mexican immigrant women was to have a white guy who knew nothing of that experience and didn't take right. many steps to include or involve, you know, yeah, doesn't even speak Spanish. Like he no. <laughs> didn't even admit, like, I don't know what they were saying. I don't speak Spanish. It's like, why would you make a movie about that then? Right. Well, he makes a he makes a <laughs> creepy comment about how Paz Vega didn't speak much English and he didn't speak much Spanish and I think he's trying to like draw this parallel that's like, honey, no, that's not what was going on. Is he Adam Sandler? I think he's Adam Sandler he's... and she's the character she was playing. Oh. Uh, but horrible. But yeah, I mean it's just like it's so two thousand four in its flaws. But I think that there are like there are strong threads and relationships that like you see parts of that seem very promising yeah and that just he just can't follow through on like oh jimmy jimmy jimmy's (laughs) just not the guy to make this story but he he did his he did his best and it was uh it was okay for 2004 so i'll give it two nipples Mm. and i'll (laughs) give one to christina and i will give one to monica because i wanted her in the movie more cousin monica baby she was funny justice for monica yeah she had to she like got her nose broken yeah right. like right. she had good side eyes at 
at Deborah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to give this movie two and a half nipples. It was going to be three mm-hmm. nipples, and then the James L. Brooks um, research that you've told me about really took half a nipple away. <laughs> um, so horrible. I really hate yeah. I really hate that. I think I still, yeah, I'm still so like sentimentally attached to this movie, but it's just because of like who I am. And yeah, it's so it's so fun to talk about too because there's so much going on there that is awry. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. I yeah, I could I feel like I could talk about it for like maybe another half hour. <laughs> um, but I know there's like stuff I feel like we missed, but I'm yeah, just like yeah. I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired. <laughs> I have to go to bed. <laughs> I know. I'm gonna give one nipple to Clarence Leachman through the whole movie because she's so funny and weird and I love I just love Mm -hmm. a drunk old woman and I love that her purpose is just like being this like dried out like jazz singer who is just like drinking by noon and just like being funny I I love her and I'll give another nipple to the Christina translating for her mother scene because it is mm. I, it's pretty classic and I like that he's trying to eat the sandwich the whole time and he can't yeah <laughs> and then yeah. have a nipple to the final scene of the movie that just always gets to me even I I screen capped it while I was watching it where she mm-hmm. says um, the only thing that will define me is being my mother's daughter mm-hmm. that really got to me James L. Brooks I don't know you uh, I think that was like really formative to me too I've like really? that's like in my my poetry somewhere probably mm-hmm. plagiarized um <laughs> but <laughs> i mean he probably plagiarized it from the women that he invited over to his house he probably and- yeah did. dang yeah <laughs> i wouldn't lose sleep over it I, yeah. yeah but that's yeah. just half a nipple so yeah yeah oh well melissa thank you so much for joining us thanks for having me this is so fun it was fun to hang out yeah (laughs) thanks for bringing us this movie uh that is such a i mean truly it's just like let people make their own movies james don't let james l brooks do it look what would happen yeah Tell us more about your book and where people can buy it and check out your other stuff and follow you on social media and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, you can follow me on social media at ELLO Melissa. That's my handle everywhere. I'm on the internet way too much. And my book, like I said, is a novel in verse about bringing Selena back to life through a seance. And it's all about identity and love and and loneliness in a way that maybe um, was, you know, a a tiny bit of Spanglisher in there. (laughs) Um, I dedicate my book to James L. Brooks. (laughs) Um, And anyway, no, no. He's an icon. I get it. (laughs) Right. It's like I only wrote my everything I do is because of Jimmy Brooks. Um, So... uh, Yeah, my book is out. You can get it wherever books are being sold. Um, It would be great if you didn't get it on Amazon and got it on bookshop.org. They support indie bookstores. Um, Or you could call up your local indie bookstore and buy it there. I would love if you read my book. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I love you. Thank you for doing this show again. Uh, So much. I love. Thanks for having me on. I love it. Te quiero. (laughs) <laughs> mi, mi amor, mi amor. <laughs>
You can follow us on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Bechtelcast. You can go to patreon.com slash Bechtelcast and subscribe to our Matreon, which is $5 a month. You get two bonus episodes every month, plus access to the very large back catalog and you can get our merch at tpublic.com slash the cast if that's you know what you feel like doing and if you don't it's none of our business live your life that's true <laughs> adios adios bye infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 infinity qx80 live march 20th from the edge at hudson yards in new york city Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's. Because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. When the time comes to plan your next big getaway, know we got a destination idea for you. Orlando. Just think about it. The thrills at their 15 world-class theme parks, followed by awesome outdoor adventures, amazing food festivals, and top-notch dining spots. Orlando has all that and much more than you'd expect. In Orlando, anything is possible if you can imagine it. Plan your escape today and save at visitorlando.com. That's visitorlando.com for everything you need for an amazing getaway.